Hi, this is J.D. Tolosic, and welcome. This podcast is sponsored by Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences. On April 6, 2011, Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences, along with the archives of the NAS, hosted a noontime talk with independent curator and historian Catherine Coleman Brower. This podcast features highlights from her presentation. Brower, a graduate of Sarah Lawrence College, received a master's degree in art history from the Institute of Fine Arts at New York University. As an independent curator, she has mounted exhibitions on diverse topics ranging from Chinese decorative arts to Indians of the Lower Hudson Valley. And she was also the co-author of Making Their Mark, Women Artists Move into the Mainstream, 1970 to 1985. Most recently, Brower curated the exhibition Walls Speak, the Narrative Art of Hildreth Mier, and is author of the accompanying catalog. This exhibition is currently on display at the National Building Museum in Washington, D.C. until November 27, 2011. The artist Hildreth Mier has a special relationship with the National Academy of Sciences, as her work adorns the ceiling of the Great Hall in the Academy's historical building located on Constitution Avenue in Washington, D.C. In fact, this was Mier's first major commission. Brower talks about the life and work of this important artist. Hildreth Mier was only 31 years old in 1922 when the noted architect Bertram Grosvenor Goodhue asked her to design decoration for the Great Hall of the National Academy of Sciences. It was her first major architectural commission. Mier was not Goodhue's first choice for the job. He encouraged me, she later recalled, by saying that my ignorance was an asset, that I did not know any of the things he did not want me to know, but he added cheerfully that several other people had made designs that he did not like and that I was being tried as a last resort. Always a quick study, Mier intuitively grasped the collaborative role that Goodhue required. Her job was to enhance his vision of a building by depicting an iconography in visually striking symbols that would convey the building's purpose and be integral to the architecture. As a solution to having to design in a classical style to blend with the Lincoln Memorial, Goodhue had designed the exterior of the National Academy in a style he described as Alexandrine, which incorporated Greek and Egyptian elements. Although Goodhue had an idea of the kind of decoration he wanted for the Great Hall, he allowed Mier the independence to tackle the decoration in her personal style. For 1923, Mier's style was cutting edge, influenced by an international style she had encountered on a recent trip to Paris that later became known as Art Deco. He simply explained, while figures will undoubtedly be freely used, the whole thing would, as I see it, be rather liney, if that's the word, without three-dimensional modeling. Goodhue further told Mier that her design should be somewhat like Greek vase painting. She later recalled the design process. So I looked and looked at Greek vases and copied and traced until I thought I had the spirit. And then I looked at Egyptian and contemporary art as their coloring seemed appropriate. And then, disregarding most of my researches, but being influenced by them, I started designing. The first lot of sketches were entirely wrong, and Mr. Goodhue told me so. There was a man who knew what he wanted or did not want the instant he saw it. 
The second batch of sketches had the seed of the ultimate scheme, and after his office had developed my start, and I had redrawn their development, we had the design which was accepted. The proposed iconography for the Dome of the Great Hall was the history of science as known in 1922. It was developed in stages by the Building Committee of the National Academy, chaired successively by George Ellery Hale and Gano Dunn. Goodhue relayed their ideas to Mier. At the center of the dome, Mier depicted the sun surrounded by symbols of the eight planets known at the time. Surrounding the planets are eight allegorical figures, each representing one of the eight branches of science, from astronomy to zoology. An inscription at the rim of the dome reads, To science, pilot of industry, conqueror of disease, multiplier of the harvest, explorer of the universe, revealer of nature's laws, eternal guide to truth. The committee asked Mier to depict a large medallion containing an allegorical figure of one of the four elements, earth, air, fire, and water, on the four triangular wall surfaces between the dome and its supporting arches called pendentives. Mier represented each element accompanied by three of man's inventions that utilize that particular element. For example, she surrounded air with a bellows, a windmill, and a sailboat. Mier did not know to what extent Goodhue would want to correct her decorative scheme. When she offered to show him her preliminary sketches, Mier was surprised and delighted that Goodhue left it all up to her. He believes in picking experts, <clears throat> and then leaving them alone. So I'm the Lord High Executioner of this dome, and here's hoping I make good, she wrote her mother. Over the summer of 1923, Mier began work on the figures of the four elements. Goodhue visited Mier at her studio in the beginning of October to review her figures. She described his visit. I got everything spread around looking its most impressive this morning. He's delighted with the figures, said he thought them fine, bully, lovely. He loves air and water, as I hoped he would, so everything is okay and you bet I'm relieved. As Mir was eager to gain the respect of fellow artists who had been commissioned to work on different aspects of the National Academy, she was pleased to receive a visit from the sculptor Lee Laurie. He wrote Mir the next day. It was a pleasure to see your cartoons for the National Academy of Science building. I hope you will not consider it presumptuous of me to say that I thought there is not a great difference in style between the painted and the sculptural decorations of the building. I think this is good since it will help towards keeping the building unified. To make certain that her mother understood the significance of Laurie's compliment, Mier wrote, I think that's pretty nice from one of the best sculptors we've got. He does all Goodhue's sculpture and has done some pretty marvelous things. Goodhue says he has more work on hand than any sculptor in the world. In other letters to her mother, Mier described some of the issues for the muralist that she was dealing with for the first time. What was the extent of her responsibility? Was she simply to design the decoration and paint full-size paintings in color called cartoons for someone else to execute? Or was she expected to subcontract the execution of her designs to a firm of architectural decorators? 
How much did she need to do to be certain to get credit for her work? How should she go about estimating costs? The proposition from Goodhue was pretty vague, she wrote in November 1922. He's waiting for me to name a price. Mier turned to her former mural teacher, Ernest Peixoto, for advice. At first, he thought it would be better for Mier to see the job through and offered to help her estimate costs. But by the end of December, however, Mier had made up her mind not to be responsible for the entire job as she would get the same amount of credit for the decoration either way. It comes to exactly the same thing, she wrote her mother. I have to be on the ground to decide color, etc. when the first sample goes up and I get just as much credit. It's decorations by Hildreth Mier and executed by the architectural decorating firm Mac, Jenny, and Tyler. Mr. Peixoto and I agree that there's no use my taking the added responsibility of the entire contract, so I won't. Acoustics in the Great Hall presented a particular challenge. As the space was to accommodate seating for lectures, a major requirement for the dome was even sound throughout. The National Academy's original plan had been to construct the dome in the Guastavino Company's patented acoustic tile. To cut costs, however, the building committee had instead asked Guastavino to cover the dome and walls in an acoustic plaster, a treatment which proved inadequate. Gano Dunn, chairman of the building committee, stated that the acoustics were not good enough for what he termed our temple of science, where he felt all that science can do to improve acoustics should be done, not only for the convenience and facility of the building, but as a lesson to the rest of the world. To improve the acoustics, the committee reallocated funds that had been set aside for grounds and furniture so that Guastavino could cover the dome with the firm's porous acoustic tile. It was the rough surface of this tile that Mier was contracted to decorate. Goodhue suggested that it might be possible to create an inexpensive design in painted and gilded gesso that from a distance would simulate the appearance of colored, glazed ceramic tile set into the acoustic tile of the dome. He left it to Mier to work out the solution with the architectural decorating firm Mac, Jenny, and Tyler in New York. To follow up on Goodhue's suggestion of creating a raised design in gesso, a white pigment base that could be painted and gilded, Mier visited the office of Mac, Jenny, and Tyler. She wrote, The sample was getting finished and we liked it better and better. It was just a 3 by 5 section, just running bands and repeat ornament. Not very interesting in itself, but the quality of this thing is lovely. The bricks are very rough, and the composition was put on perhaps three-eighths of an inch thick at most. Not really modeled, but it was surprising how much relief just the flat relief gave. It was a little bumpy and rough, too, and when this is gilded and painted, you get a variety of color and light that is delightful. It has a handmade, rather crude look, which goes with the simple, strong color scheme, just dark blue, green, red, brown, and a warm white, and the character is fine. Goodhue, too, liked the sample and went so far as to tell Mier that they had created a fine new medium. 
it is significant that Mier's first architectural commission involved finding a solution to a technical problem. In subsequent commissions, she became known for her willingness to experiment, even when working in a new medium, and for her tendency to push every medium to an extreme. Another challenge for Mier was creating decoration that would not interfere with the acoustical quality of the hall. She was told that she had to restrict her designs so that they covered no more than 50% of the dome's acoustic tile surface. Mier came up with an elegant solution by designing an all-over pattern for the dome that she outlined in gold. She then placed her symbols and allegorical figures within gold-edged decorative medallions that simultaneously contain and strengthen the visual impact of her images. The result is a rich design that looks as if it covers 100% of the dome's surface, when in fact it covers only half. The richness of Mier's design is further enhanced by the warm brown ground of the tile itself. The original color of the tile had been too light. Mier realized that her design would not work against too light a ground. The darker the ground, the better the effect, and Goodhue says now it's as light as light stone and I'll be pretty sick if I don't have such an important element in my favor, Mier wrote her mother. After much consultation, it was agreed that Mac, Jenny, and Tyler could safely darken the porous tile without affecting its acoustical properties as long as they used a stain that did not contain any pigment. Mier soon realized that she had no control over the scheduling of the work in Washington. It would take time for Guastavino to finish tiling the dome and for Mac, Jenny, and Tyler to stain the tile so that Mier's designs could be applied. Nor could Mier force the building committee to decide in a timely manner on the last part of the iconographic scheme for the soffits or undersides of the arches, namely the symbols of the four ancient academies of science in Alexandria, Rome, London, and Paris together with samples of their achievements. Timing was important to Mier as she hoped to spend Christmas of 1923 with her family in San Francisco. Each day of delay in Washington threatened Mier's plans. Although she reassured her mother, don't you worry about December, I'll be there or bust, Mier spent a great deal of time calculating how much time she would need to spend at the National Academy in order to leave for California by train to arrive in time for the holiday. Goodhue was sympathetic to Mier's predicament and equally frustrated at not having received the needed iconography. On November 30th, he telegraphed Dunn to say, Miss Mier must have this information before starting west next week. The building committee was not trying to be difficult. They were stumped and could not come up with symbols of the achievements of each ancient academy for Mier to depict. Dunn admitted, we all of us find it more difficult than we had thought. At the end of the first week of December, Dunn received an urgent letter from Goodhue. What are we going to do for the symbols? The workmen are now hard at work. Everything is going smoothly. Miss Mier has not been sent for, so there's no trouble. She is proposing to leave for California, not only proposing, but going, so that if we cannot reach a decision before she goes, so that she can make the symbols, I shall have to have them done here in the office. 
Even if she goes, it is necessary to have this information in our hands almost immediately. All in all, we are faced by a very parlous state of affairs. It took until the end of January for the building committee to finalize the symbols. Pierre, in the meanwhile, continued to make her travel plans. She informed her mother, I talked to Mr. Jenny and Tyler by phone, and the man was back from Washington and said my cartoons fit almost perfectly to everybody's surprise. Craftsmen used a technique called pouncing to transfer the designs on Mier's full-size painted cartoons to the dome. First, a craftsman traced Mier's cartoon with a serrated wheel like a pizza cutter that left small holes along the lines. He then placed the perforated cartoon against the surface of the dome and brushed the holes with powdered graphite to transfer the outlines of the image. Next, using the equivalent of a pastry tube filled with gesso, craftsmen outlined Mier's transferred design. Finally, they painted and gilded the gesso to match the colors of Mier's original cartoon. Mier was pleased that they wanted her to mix color before she left for California. A 1923 newspaper article described Mier on scaffolding in the Great Hall, 65 feet above ground. The garb of this slender figure carries out a swallow-like illusion. Over a smock and trousers of horizon blue flames an artist's tam of brilliant orange, while just beneath it fly the ends of a tossed-back scarf of the same color. When I first came down here and started clambering around among these rafters, I practically stopped work on the whole building, said Miss Mier. But now the men have got used to me and my costume. Even before she had completed work on the Great Hall, Mier had established an enviable reputation for herself among muralists and architects in New York. She described a party that she went to at the Bechado's apartment. The first person introduced to me was the muralist Alan Cox. He'd been on the juries of the Beaux-Arts Institute and said he knew my early work well and had always voted for it. And then we talked about work, as he's got as much to do as I have. And then Mr. Pechado called me up to Cass Gilbert, who's one of the architects, did the Woolworth building. Pechetto gave me such an introduction as would have made you swell visibly, and Cass Gilbert agreed with him that I've done extraordinarily well for myself. It's hard to repeat compliments and not give the impression of a swelled head, but it's only fair to you to say that I've made good, and as Alan Cox says, it's landing the first big job that's hard. Sadly, Goodhue died in April 1924, just five days before the dedication of the National Academy. Mier was fortunate to have carried out her first architectural commission under his tutelage, as Goodhue encouraged her to be creative, disciplined, and willing to experiment. She readily acknowledged her debt to Goodhue in the following words. Goodhue believed that the great building would result from the architect who had found the right sculptor and the right painter. He had his sculptor for years in Lee Laurie, but he hadn't a regular painter, and he said to me when I first worked for him, I've been looking for you for years. I only did three jobs for him, but the association with him and his ideas were a determining factor in my work and career. By guiding the young Mier through her first major architectural commission, 
good you helped launch one of the great careers in American mural painting. Mier went on to do approximately 100 commissions, both secular and liturgical, in a wide variety of mediums. Her best-known work is at the Nebraska State Capitol in Lincoln, St. Bartholomew's Church, Temple Emanuel, One Wall Street, and Radio City Music Hall in New York, the Cathedral Basilica of St. Louis, and the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C. Mir's drawings, color studies in gouache, full-scale cartoons, to-scale models, large sample mosaics, and a large mural on canvas, all from 25 different commissions, can be seen together for the first time in the exhibition Wall Speak, the Narrative Art of Hildreth Mier, on view at the National Building Museum in Washington through November 27, 2011. They are also illustrated in the accompanying catalog. I hope you will have a chance to see the work of this superb American muralist who began her illustrious career decorating the Great Hall of the National Academy of Sciences. My name is J.D. Tulosic and you have been listening to a podcast sponsored by Cultural Programs of the National Academy of Sciences. Be sure to visit our website at www.cpnas.org for a complete listing of exhibitions, programs, and other events where we explore the intersections of art, science, and culture.